Good morning. Hi. Uh, my name is Matt, um, and I'm a covenant partner here at Grace Point Church. Uh, and, and I have been, when, uh, when Pastor Ty asked me to, to preach this summer, uh, and literally just yesterday, he's like, how are you going to introduce yourself? And I've thought a lot about that, because some of you know me as Pastor Matt. Uh, others of you know me as Sergeant Butler. Others of you know me as Matt or Matthew. Some of you know me as Abraham, and that's a long story. Um, but uh, some of you don't know me at all, and that's, that's cool too. Um, I had the privilege of serving as the pastor of worship and liturgy here for uh, almost seven years. Um, I've had the honor of serving in the Air Force, uh, active duty, reserves, and now back to active guard reserve for about 13 years now. And, woo! Uh, and I, I've been Matthew or Matt since the day I was born. And so I feel like, I feel like Zoolander in that scene where he looks up at the moon, he's like, who am I? No, I don't know. Uh, and so not knowing how to introduce myself, you know, it's funny how God works. Right? It's funny how God speaks through his word because our text today in 1 Peter, not only am I going to get clarity on who I am, but you are too. You're going to get some clarity on our identity as Christians and, and given some direction on how to live as Christians and what we're called to do. So if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that we've been uh, working through the letter of 1 Peter. If you're joining us for the first time, if you're literally just dipping your toe into Christianity and what this is all about, you might be asking, what's a 1 Peter? Um, well, here at Grace Point Church, we believe that, that God speaks, right? He, he speaks through all of his creation, everything that he's created. Uh, but he speaks even more clearly through his word, the scriptures. And even more clearly, not only is this a guide to life, but this is a guide or a pointer to the one who gives life, and his name is Jesus, right? So from cover to cover, this is all about Jesus. But if you were to, if you were to flip through this, sometimes that's hard to see, right? If you, if you just like open up a page and you don't know the context or, or the point, I'm going to help you out today. I'm going I'm to help you get to where we, we are. So the first thing you're going to need is a Bible, so go ahead and grab a Bible. Um, if you don't have one, you probably have a smartphone, right? Uh, here we use the, the app version that has the entire Bible in it, um, as well as if you click on the events tab, you're, you're going to see notes from today's sermon. You can follow along uh, real easily right there on your phone. But if you don't have a smartphone and you want, or if you just want like a physical Bible, we have plenty of those too. Like on the side tables here in the front and the back, we've got regular print, large print, super giant enormous print as well, I think, um, English, Spanish, and you can, you can literally grab one of those right now. Uh, we want you to have a Bible. We want you to follow along because this is what points us to our Savior, Jesus. So we're going to be in 1 Peter. Uh, it's towards the back of the Bible. Uh, it's right here in mine. So if, you, if you're new to the Bible, it's, it's in the New Testament. And as you flip there, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about Peter, uh, for those of you who haven't been with us. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, which means he was a student or a follower of Jesus, and he, he lived alongside Jesus for about three years, about 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here uh, doing ministry. Peter was right there doing ministry with him, witnessing the, the miracles of Jesus, uh, serving Jesus. Peter said a lot of dumb things that are recorded in Scripture as well, uh, and then he received a lot of grace and forgiveness from Jesus. And then after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, uh, he, Jesus commissioned Peter as an apostle. And there's really just two qualifications to, 
to be an apostle. One, you have to see the resurrected Jesus, and then you have to be commissioned by Jesus to go tell the world about him. And so Jesus said, hey, you've been with me all this time. You, you see my resurrected self, now go tell the world. And so Peter started, among other things, uh, writing letters to these newly forming Jesus communities called churches. And to our benefit, we have them today in what we call the Bible. So now you're, now you're caught up. You good? You with me? All right. So that's where we are. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. And before we dig in, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think of a time when you felt like you clearly didn't belong. Think of a time where you, you just didn't fit in. And some of you are like, I feel that right now. I'm new to church. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, that's okay. We've all been there. Uh, in fact, several years ago, my wife, Danielle, and I, we were invited to this dinner. Um, it was a fundraiser for a charity, this, this great event. But tickets were like $200 a plate. It was one of those things. And somehow, we got our tickets for free. It's like, score. All right. So we're in this, we're in this nice gala, this nice place. Danielle's in a beautiful dress. She's looking good, as usual. And I might have been in a suit. Um, this was before I got some really good fashion advice from my friend Shaddai um, and got some like nice suits. But So my clothes weren't the nicest. Uh, we had gotten in for free, but we're surrounded by people with money. You ever been in one of those situations where you could just like, you could, like smell the money in the air? <laughs> like you've got old money, you've got new money, and you've got Danielle and I over here with no money. <laughs> and, I wanted, I wanted so badly to fit in. Like, I was like, man, I, I wish I had some money. I, I, I could really use some money right now so I could fit in with all of these people. And I wanted to, I wanted to be something that I was not. Was it, was it for the charity? Probably not. Was it, was it for my own like, self-esteem? Was it for my wife? Was it for these complete strangers at this event? I don't know, but I had forgotten who I really was. And it, it changed the way that I acted and felt that night because... Out of our identities, where we find our identities, flows our actions. It's easy to forget who we really are, right? It's, it's, hard, it's hard to remember who we actually are. And so let me remind you, let me remind myself with the very first word of verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11 starts with, Beloved. Beloved, you are are beloved. You're loved by God. Yeah, everything that Peter has written so far, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is again and again a reminder of who we are. Your identity, Christian, in Christ, is beloved. And we can't breeze past this word, because even though, if, if you look in your Bibles, we want you to put your eyes on the text, it doesn't look like a, a turning point in the letter. There's no, header, there's no header there. There's no like change of a chapter or anything. But this is a crucial turning point because we're about to jump into a whole laundry list of ways we live out the Christian life. How to live uh, under the authority of the government. How to, how to live in our workplaces. How to live as wives and husbands, as members of a church. How to live through suffering. And all of these ways to live begin with a reminder of our identity. We're beloved. You are not what you do. You are not what you produce. That's not who you are. Before you do anything or fail to do something, you're loved by God. And all of this is true because you are in Christ. If you are a Christian, you've, you've 
placed your faith in Jesus, you have this unique union with Jesus. What's true of him is now true of you. Not that you become a God, but you have this unique union with Jesus. You get to identify with him. And did you know that Jesus, before he did anything, before he did any work of ministry, that God reminded him of his identity too? If you don't believe me, flip with me to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to be taking glances back into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are just the eyewitness testimonies of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Uh, so keep a tab in First Peter, but turn over with me to Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. Before, before Jesus performed any miracles, before he did any work of ministry, he went down to the river and got baptized by this prophet named John, who we call John the Baptist, right? And so this is, this is where we picked up in uh, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is God's beloved. And in Jesus, you are God's beloved also. God loves you. He's pleased with you. And it's important for us to remember before we go any further. Because uh, just like Pastor Tim, uh, when he set up this whole series in 1 Peter, uh, Pastor Tim said this, and it stuck with me. He says, we need to know who we are theologically before we know how to act socially. We're only one word deep into this passage. Beloved, beloved. Beloved, remember this. So let's get back to our text, and let, let's, let's finish verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So not only are we beloved, we have a couple of other identity statements here. We're sojourners and exiles. We're being told that the life we're living, this isn't it. Right? This is not our home. We're on a journey, a sojourn. Sojourn is a, is a temporary stay. If you're in exile, you're away from your true home. And that's who we are. We're beloved sojourners and exiles. And so pop quiz, yes or no? In Jesus, are you beloved? Yes. Yes or no? In this world, are you a sojourner and exile? Yes. Is your true home with Christ? Yes. So all of this is true, and we still have work to do. Right? As beloved sojourners and exiles, we're not expected to coast through life, biding our time until Jesus returns or until Jesus takes us home. But out of our identities, we are called to action. And it starts in verse 11 with abstaining from the passions of the flesh. What are the passions of the flesh? And I want some participation here. Let's just shout them out. Right? So we got, I'll get us started, greed, lust, Hypocrisy, pride, anger, jealousy, anything else? Idolatry, envy, hate, gluttony. Now how about um, if we go back to 1 Peter 2, verse 1? He lists five in that single verse. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. All of these things 
are passions of the flesh. Where do these passions come from? The flesh, right? Can, can we point to the world around us? Can we point to outside temptation? Can we point to the evils of sin city? We could, or, or we could listen to Jesus and what he has to say. When, when being asked about what defiles a person, where all this sin comes from, he said this in Mark chapter 7. So again, keep a tab in First Peter, but go over to Mark chapter 7. 20 through 23. This is what Jesus has to say. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So instead of waging war with the world that we've been sent into as sojourners and exiles, we have to wage war first against the filth in our own hearts. We have to look here first. In December of 1965, it marked a a change in the Vietnam War. Ho Chi Minh and the North Vietnamese military leaders, they they made a change on how they were going to um, engage Americans. They changed from these pitched battles where they would meet, you know, you'd typically meet somewhere and and duke it out. They changed to guerrilla tactics, where they would do these these hit and runs, these sneak attacks, and they became a staple in the way that the Viet Cong fought. On top of that, to avoid detection, they started building these enormous underground tunnel systems, and so they could move without detection, and they could you know, pop out with various uh, trap doors and hidden entrances. And if you're familiar at all with the Vietnam War, uh, unfortunately, these tactics were very effective against Americans and against the South Vietnamese. I think sin uses similar tactics. I want us to think of it that way. The passions of the flesh, they're... They're waging war against our souls. Sin is sneaky. You know, sometimes without detection, our sin is lurking just below the surface. And when left to its own devices, without a regular offensive against it, it can manifest itself in all sorts of destructive ways. We're told that sin leads to death. And so we, we need to wage war against it. Does that sound dramatic? You know, if we're, if we're at war... We're at war, like we're told here. We need some tactics, right? So, it's a new operation for us. Operation Triple A. Okay? I know it's cheesy. Bear with me. Three A's. Awareness, admission, and assurance. These are our tactics against sin. Our tactics against sin start with an awareness of sin. And what does that look like practically? It starts with prayer. Ask God to reveal the sin in you. He knows you better than you know yourself. So trust his work of revelation. Grow in awareness. Ask a friend, ask a pastor, ask a counselor, ask your spouse. You can ask Danielle. She'll be like, yeah, I can list them off for you. Now, grow in your awareness of your sin. Help, 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 help each other. You know, find the blind spot. What am I not seeing here? 
We need to gain an awareness of our sin, but we can't stop there. We have to admit that it is sin. Right? This is our confession, like we did this morning. We need to confess and, and say, sorry, God. That's, that's basically the language that we're given in Psalm 38, 18. You don't have to turn there. It's real short and sweet. It says, I confess my iniquity. I admit my brokenness and my sin, and I am sorry for my sin. That's our admission. So we have an awareness of our sin. We've made an admission of our sin. And so what's next? Assurance. Without this last A, this assurance, we're left with a very dangerous vacuum in our hearts. And you know what happens in a vacuum? It gets filled. And so if we're asking God to to find and uproot the sin in us, we're left with this space that could so very easily be filled with a different sin, a different coping mechanism, other vices, or it could intentionally be filled with assurance. Because I bet some of us have already forgotten. Yes, we have to admit that we're broken. We are imperfect. We are needy sinners, but we are still God's beloved. You're still God's beloved. Don't forget that. In Christ, you are God's beloved. And with that assurance, when he uproots the ugliness in you, you can ask him to fill that with the fruit of the Spirit. Fill that with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things we we can't conjure up on our own strength. They have to be gifted to us through Jesus and by the Spirit. That's our assurance. We're his, and he's going to take good care of us. So we wage our counteroffensive against the passions of the flesh with awareness, admission, and assurance. So what else? As uh, God's beloved sojourners and exiles are we called to do? Let's look at verse 12 here. Verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. That's Peter's way of saying unbelievers here in this text. Keep your conduct among unbelievers or the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Kids do this all the time. They're like, my sister made me do it. My brother made me do it. I hear that a lot in my house. Have you ever been wrongly accused when you have done nothing immoral, unethical, or legal? How did you respond? How would, how would you respond? Right? I think our, our natural inclination is to come to our own defenses, right? declare our innocence, clear our name of wrongdoing, and we could do that. Or we could follow Jesus' example. When Jesus was being accused by the Pharisees of all sorts of things in their case to crucify him, even Pilate recognized that their accusations had no ground. And so we're going to go back to the Gospels here. Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 16. It says, after Jesus was arrested, he was beaten, he was cross-examined. And this is what Pilate had to say, Luke 23 13 through 16, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, 
Nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. It's like a, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. If you read the accounts of Jesus' trial before his crucifixion, he didn't say much. He didn't have to. Because Jesus' actions spoke against the accusations of the Pharisees. It was what he did. And what did Jesus do? He performed miracles. He healed people. He taught. He listened. He was patient. He was obedient to God's will, even to the point of death. And for what purpose? To glorify God. To glorify God. And in so doing, he brought to himself a people for his own possession that we may proclaim his excellencies. The excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So how do we proclaim his excellencies? Yes, we could use our words and we should. But here in the text it says, be honorable. Do good deeds. That's what verse 12 says, right? Read it again. Hear it again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That last phrase, the day of visitation, can be uh, kind of a strange phrase, but we can see it one of two ways. The day of visitation could be the day that Jesus comes back and all people recognize him and glorify him, or it could be the day that the Holy Spirit visits the heart of an unbeliever and does this transforming work. In that moment, you see the glory of God in that moment. But either way, either way, it is our honorable conduct and our good deeds that are recognized and God who is glorified. It's important to be reminded that our conduct and our deeds flow most naturally from our identity. Who we are shapes how we act. And what's our identity? Beloved. We are God's beloved. Um, author Bob Berg put it this way. I love this, I love this quote. What, what you have to give, you offer least of all through what you say, in greater part through what you do, but in greatest part through who you are. It is your identity, who you are, that has the greatest impact on those around you, and your identity is what leads your words and actions. And so if we were to summarize verses 11 and 12 together into a single sentence, it could be this. Beloved, fight the good fight and live beautifully. Fight the good fight and live beautifully as God's beloved. And I wanted to spend the bulk of our time in those two verses right there because it sets us up for what follows, okay? At this point in the text, this is where we're led into all the different areas of our lives in which we're called to live out our identity as God's beloved, and it starts with politics, some of your ears just perked up. You're like, okay, politics, let's do this. Yeah, and I'm like, give the guy who hasn't preached in two years the text on politics. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Pastor Ty. Um, now, this isn't going to be a politician bashing session or anything like that, because um, I think a lot of times, and I could say with confidence the majority of times when we talk about government officials and political leaders, uh, we are doing so from the sidelines. So very quickly, 
point our fingers at what they are doing or they are not doing or drawing attention to their failures and making it all about them. And although there is in this text some description of what God intends for government officials to do, the primary focus is on us and what we are called to do. Listen to the first verse and a half or so. First Peter 2, 13 and the first part of 14 says, be subject, this is our charge to us, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme or to governors. I'm going to pause right there because, again, I want us to examine ourselves before going any further. Our responsibility before theirs. We're told to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Why would we do that? How did Jesus handle it? How did he view the government and, and uh, the government of his days and their, and their policies? Well, there's an account of that in, gospel, in the Gospel of Mark. I told you we're going to be flipping back and forth. Mark chapter 12 gives us an example of Jesus' perspective on political leaders and their policies. This is Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. I hear some pages flipping, so I'm waiting for you. No rush. I'm waiting for you. Patiently, I am. I want you to see the text for yourself. All right? Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. And they sent to him, him being Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, those were just kind of like the religious leaders of the day, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, you got to have this like sarcastic tone in mind, teacher, we know that you are true. Do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. I'm just sleazy. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. This is a coin that was about a... Um, worth about a, a day's wages for a laborer back in the day. They brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Jesus basically said, pay your taxes, obey the laws of the land, and what's more important is that you are rendering to God what is God's. Whose, whose likeness and inscription was on that coin? Caesar's, right? Then it's his. Whose likeness and inscription is on you? God's. Like all people are made in the image of God. And if all people are image bearers of God, carrying by our nature his likeness, his inscription, and we are to render ourselves to God. That's what God wants. And so when we're told to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, just one of the ways that we keep our conduct honorable, it is a witness to our higher authority, and that's what he wants from us. Now, now we can turn to the expectations for our political leaders. Little known fact about me, 
is that I like reading presidential biographies. Nerd alert, right? <laughs> Super nerd. Um, I can't, like, Danielle's not here for this gathering. She will be next. I know she's going to shout it out. She, what a nerd. Uh, I've read biographies on uh, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, a couple on Cleveland, uh, Lincoln, a big one on Teddy Roosevelt, among others, and I find them fascinating. It's not, it's not about, I don't stick to party lines or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not interested in their, their policies per se. I just find it fascinating to hear their stories, to learn about their lives, their, their perspectives, and I don't know, I find them, I find them fascinating. Sue me. Um, no, please don't sue me, actually. Uh, but of all the quotes of all of the, the presidents, one has stuck with me for a really long time, and it's from President Grover Cleveland, of all presidents. He said, Public officers are the servants and agents of the people. Public officers are the servants and agents of the people. And now I think that lines up pretty nicely with what we're about to read in verses 13 and 14. So let's, let's read the rest of uh, 13 and 14 together. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So two of the reasons for the, the existence of human institutions is to, one, punish those who do evil, and two, to praise those who do good. Does this always happen? No. But there are laws and structures in place that do this more often than hits the headlines. Let me ask our military members. Are, are we part of a human institution? Yeah, we are. Now, do these two things fall in line with what we do? Do we punish those who do evil? Do we praise those who do good? I would argue yes. And so I think we're operating within a human institution the way that God intends it. But that's not always the case. So I think it's important to note that the, the phrase be subject in verse 13 doesn't mean total blind obedience, right? Because there's, there's plenty of examples. If you look throughout Scripture, the, the Israelites and the early Christians, there's plenty of examples of them practicing some civil disobedience against those governing authorities that weren't fulfilling their callings. You can think about Daniel when uh, it was outlawed to pray to anyone other than the king. Well, Jesus... Daniel kept praying to God. Right? He's practicing that civil disobedience. You can think of Esther going before the king when that was against the rules in order to plead on behalf of her people. Uh, you can think of Shadrach, Meshach, and a baked potato. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, refusing to bow down to the, the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar because that violates the command of God to, to not worship idols. And None of these examples were done in a democratic republic like we have here in America, right? Uh, but we can consider the Christians of the 1960s and the civil rights movement and how they were practicing civil disobedience well within their constitutional rights to shape for the better our government. God has put these human institutions, these governing authorities in place to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. Now let's turn back to us and our responsibility. What are we supposed to do? Have you, ever, have you ever asked yourself, what's God's will for my life? 
what is the will of God? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're told right here in verse 15. Let's finish out our passage uh, reading 1 Peter 2, 15 through 17. For this is the will of God. Hello. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. God's will is for you and me to do good. Do good. This is a reiteration of what we've already been told. Do good deeds. Live honorably. Live as people who are freed from the bondages of sin and death. Not to continue in sin that leads to death, but do good that leads to the glory of God. Perhaps you notice this little paradox in verse 16. I'll read verse 16 again. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Free people, servants, seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But we realize that, that like discipline leads to freedom, right? I think we understand this because if we want financial freedom, we have to be disciplined to save, to not overspend, to stick to a budget. We need that discipline to achieve that freedom, right? If we, if we want more time, we have to be disciplined to wake up early or go to bed on time or to put down the, the device with the algorithm that is made to make you continue scrolling longer than you should, right? We need that discipline in order to get that freedom. If you want to get in better shape, if you want to lose weight, you got to be disciplined to go to the gym or eat right or run or whatever that is. You need that discipline to achieve that freedom and to live under the good disciplines of God as his beloved servants. We're operating under the good rule and reign of God to experience the fullest freedom a person can possibly experience in this life. Servants of God are the freest people of all. How do you want to live? Do you want to live bound to sin? Or do you want to live bound to Christ? Which, which master do you want? Sin or Jesus? You can say his name. Jesus. It'd be really awkward if you said sin. We could, we could have a conversation afterwards with that. But Jesus is the better master. It's in Jesus that we're offered the fullness of freedom and the fullness of life. And it's under his rule that we can live freely in all areas of our lives, including under government authorities. Even the government, yes. So if we look at verse 17, it has these four command statements in there. Honor everyone. I mentioned it already. As image bearers, all people, all people are worthy of dignity and respect. We are to honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. He's referring to the church family here, brothers and sisters. We can express this special affection as a family as we sojourn in this life, knowing that we don't go alone, 
but that we have one another. So love the brotherhood. Fear God. It's not like in a terrified sense, right? But we have a reverence for him as our highest authority. He's the one in charge. So fear God. And lastly, honor the emperor. Even if we don't agree with their policies. Even if, we, even if they're not fulfilling their God-given responsibilities, as image bearers, we are called to give them honor, dignity, and respect. So if we were to summarize verses 13 through 17 in a single sentence, it, it could be this. Freed servants of God, live as honorable and humble citizens. So if we were to just, if you just had two takeaway sentences and summarize these two passages, our first section was a setup for all the different areas of our lives. It says, beloved, fight the good fight and live beautifully. And then when it comes specifically to living beautifully as part of human institutions, be reminded, freed servants of God, you're called to live as honorable and humble citizens. So I want to close by going back to my first question. Who am I? Who are you? If, if, you've, if you've forgotten, let me remind you, you are God's beloved. In Christ, you have this unique union with Jesus. You are loved by God. And you're on this journey called life. You're not alone. We've got one another. And we're called to live out our identity as God's beloved in all these different areas. When it comes to human institutions, we're called to live as humble and honorable citizens, all to the glory of God. May we do good. May our good deeds be recognized. And may he get all of the credit. Amen.